You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And uh, before we begin today, I want to remind you to check out wealthformula.com for all sorts of additional resources and downloads and lists to join, including the Accredited Investor Club, which uh, if you've uh, got money on the sidelines and you want to participate in interesting opportunities outside the traditional equity markets and you are an accredited investor, check that out. Go to wealthformula.com and sign up for our accredited investor club. Now, as for today, I want to reflect for a moment on this whole thing about like how things change without us really even noticing, right? Big changes in the world or in your life really sneak up on you, don't they? One day you reflect on the way things were and wonder how the heck it happened without you noticing those changes. Anyway, anyone who has kids knows what I mean. My 13-year-old daughter, now she's tall and beautiful, writes songs. And I can remember the day she was born. How did that happen, right? You got a baby and now, you know, she's who she is. And I mean, I didn't see it happen every day. I didn't see those changes happening in real time. Uh, The funny thing is that lots of things in life are like that. And when you look in terms of investing, the best way to look there is through technology. And technology kind of does the same thing to us. Uh, You know, like you, you probably are similar to me where you remember a time when there were no cell phones or, you know, like maybe there was a car phone and it was like an exotic thing. But in a blink of an eye, traditional landlines became extinct. I mean, my children would even know what to do with one of those if they saw it. You know, they would just, it's like a dinosaur at this point. And what about, you know, phone boots and stuff like that? Have you seen one of those lately? I certainly haven't. Actually, I saw one one time uh, when my 13-year-old was probably about, uh, maybe she was five years old, and we were in England, and she saw a phone booth, and she was like, Daddy, what's that? Man, that'll make you feel old real quick, right? Anyway, uh, yeah, and then I remember receiving my first uh, text message one time. I was in Grand Rounds and Surgical Residency, and I was like, what the heck is this? Is this real? What is my phone talking to me? This is, anyway, it just all happened so quickly. And now, you know, I, I text more than I talk on the phone. Anyway, you get the idea. Things happen in technology pretty quickly, and, you know, pretty quickly they become part of the fabric of our lives without us even noticing it. Like right now, like, I mean, look at Amazon 15 years ago. Man, if I'd known what Amazon was going to become today, I mean, I'm sure I would have invested. Who wouldn't have, right? I mean, just, but if you you were watching Amazon, you could kind of see the direction they were heading in every day. And they just sort of became a behemoth where, you know, I, I just, you know, sit and order things on Amazon when I'm bored now just so that I can get, you know, packages in the mail and feel like it's Christmas every day, right? I mean, <laughs> that's what I do. But, you know, the thing about it is that it's so difficult to predict, again, because we live, you know, in, in, at the time when these things are uh, slowly moving into a trajectory that's hard to predict. So when you think about it, if you're looking at the tech world or investing, uh, you wonder what's going to become part of 
the fabric of our society in the next 15, 20 years? Well, I can think of a few things that might, uh, but nothing quite so obvious, in my opinion, uh, than Bitcoin and its uh, ecosystem. I mean, right now, uh, which is crazy to think because, you know, they're used that Bitcoin pizza day. Like, you know, I think it was only like 2010 or 11. Who knows? I probably got that wrong, but not that long ago because Bitcoin's only been around since 2009 where there was a transaction for pizza. And I think it was like a thousand Bitcoin, which would be worth like I don't know, a billion dollars or something now. And uh, in, in, anyway, that wasn't that long ago. And now it's become like legal tender in Ecuador, right? And there's these these nations who are really looking at this as legal tender. I mean, that's crazy how quickly that happened. Samson Mao, who has been on our show a few times before, uh, is one of the guys who saw Bitcoin uh, for what it is uh, many years before most people did. He's, he's a visionary. I mean, he, uh, you know, uh, he's got big visions for Bitcoin that generally uh, have uh, have come true and are continuing to form. Uh, he's also a visionary in the gaming industry, uh, and that's uh, that's another talent of his. So in this episode of Wealth Formula Podcast, I've got Samson back along with his COO uh, at Pixelmatic, Chris Wood. Um, and Pixelmatic is that company, uh, his gaming company, where he's a CEO. And we're going to discuss what's going on with Bitcoin today, uh, the latest uh, stuff on the ecosystem, maybe a little bit on why markets might be dumping a little bit. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Infinite Fleet, which is the game that I know a number of you have invested in already and others might still want to get involved after you hear the show. So anyway, we will have that interview right after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast, I should say my guests on Wealth Formula Podcast are Samson Mao and Chris Wood. Now, Samson Mao's been, and both have been on the show before. Uh, Samson, as you may recall, uh, is um, a former chief strategy officer of Blockstream. Uh, he's taken on a new role as a company he started called Gem3, which we will talk about. And Chris Wood is the is COO of Pixelmatic. And for those of you who participated in um, an offering uh, for a game uh, that we uh, that is known as Infinite Fleet, um, he is uh, the guy sort of on the ground uh, watching that every day. And of course, Samson is the CEO of that company as well. So we're going to cover a lot today. We're going to talk a little bit about Bitcoin markets and you know future of that, and then ultimately um, you know in, into this into this game. So, guys, welcome uh, welcome back to the show. It's been a been a while, and I know you guys have been traveling the traveling the world in the meantime. Yeah, thanks, Buck. It's been great to come back again. Yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a routine now. Yeah, it is. It is good, and and it's you know it's great because you know Samson. Um, and I want to start with you. Um. You know, you obviously have, uh, you know, you're you're kind of at ground zero as, as, of Bitcoin as it develops. Uh, Blockstream, um, you left Blockstream and and started Gem Three. Do you want to just, you know, give us a quick uh, review of what Blockstream was doing and what you decided to leave there to do and 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 what your vision is? Right. So Blockstream is a Bitcoin infrastructure company. It's really focused on building out protocols, building out 
uh, Bitcoin side chains, the Lightning Network, things that expand um, Bitcoin's ability to do more and transact more and um, offer things like security tokens. Um, I think that the difference is for Jan3, we bill ourselves as a Bitcoin technology company. So our focus is more about getting adoption. So the plan is that we'll work with um, governments, with companies that want to integrate Bitcoin into their existing systems and infrastructure. And we want to also roll out our, our mobile wallet, Aqua, uh, into the hands of more people so that they can receive Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin and transact. Um, so it's a bit of a different angle. We're more about gaining adoption and mass adoption, uh, nation state adoption, whereas Blockstream is more about infrastructure and uh, development of the underlying protocols. Uh, talk a little bit about that because you know we're um, I follow I follow you on Facebook and all that and and I'm I'm seeing you around the world near volcanoes uh, you know with governments. What, what, you want to tell us a little bit about what you've been up to, like specifically? Sure. So I guess a lot of my work is focused around El Salvador. So uh-huh. last year El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender, as you remember, and that caused mm-hmm. a, a big stir around the world. And this year, actually, the Central African Republic made it legal tender as well. So we're seeing more and more nation states adopt it, as well as cities and autonomous regions like Madeira, Prospera, and potentially more down the road. But um, there's this wave of uh, nation state adoption kicking off. But um, while I was at Blockstream, I helped El Salvador design a Bitcoin bond. So it is a uh, essentially a bond offering with a Bitcoin component. So the plan is to raise $1 billion dollars um, and it'll be tokenized on the liquid sidechain so that it's freely tradable and you, know, you can custody it yourself in your mobile phone. Um, but the difference here with the normal bond, aside from the tokenization model, is that there is half of the bond raised going into Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin on the market. So they'll have 500 million in cash, which they will deploy for mining operations and um, you know, expanding their power generation facilities, expanding their geothermal plants. And then half of it is buying Bitcoin. Now, after a five-year mark, they're going to start selling off that uh, that Bitcoin. They'll first recoup their initial 500 million investment, but then they'll start selling it um, month by month or quarter by quarter and sharing that upside with the investors in the bond. So it's a very novel instrument and hopefully more and more countries will start to look at that model for financing. But um, yeah, that's something I, I worked with them before and... Um, you know, I'm still doing a lot of uh, advisory to the government of El Salvador when they have requests or questions about Bitcoin. Are, this, are the countries that are interested right now primarily those that have some issues of instability with their own currency? I would say it has to do with uh, more to do with dollarization. So it, El Salvador mm-hmm. is dollarized, right? They used to have their own currency called the Colón, but then that was actually phased out. Um, I think legally it still exists, but they don't use it anymore. Mm-hmm. And now they have um, US dollars and Bitcoin as legal tender. In Africa, for the Central African Republic, they are using the um, colonial Swiss franc, the CFA franc. So that's like a, a fiat currency created from France to uh, effectively control their colonies previously. And unfortunately, it's still a legacy that's still in play in Africa. So they are also trying to extract themselves from that system and looking to adopt a Bitcoin standard. But like you're saying, it's probably countries that are dollarized or using someone else's money 
And that is a problem for them because they, they, they suffer from inflation. There's no benefit. So typically the money supply is inflated, say in the US and there's infrastructure projects, there's money going around, but for them, like they're not seeing that money but they're suffering from the inflated supply because their purchasing power is going down. So it makes sense for these countries to try to go on to a Bitcoin standard, onto a money that is not controlled by anyone and is apolitical. When you look at um, Ecuador in particular, you were, you know, they they obviously made a big move um, last year, as you as you mentioned. How does that look on the ground right now? And like day to day transactions, has it changed? Are people um, walking around, exchanging, uh, Bitcoin or, you know, a Bitcoin derivative or how, how is that working right now? Or is that really just in its infancy? I would say it's still rolling out. So they've launched their Chiva wallet. They've, um, it's their government custodial wallet. It supports Bitcoin and lightning transfers. Um, they've got a lot of installs, but I don't see the, um, daily usage at a high level yet. It's still, you know, it's still, more or less uh, in the early phases of adoption. Mm-hmm. And I think that's normal because you, you can't just overnight flip the switch and have uh, a country of 6 million people using Bitcoin. Sure. So there's going to be a gradual ramp up. But you do see a lot of businesses supporting Bitcoin, accepting Bitcoin for payments. And I think the biggest boon has been to the economy. So they've seen mm-hmm. a massive uptick in tourism and people going to El Salvador. A lot of people in my circles, like in the Bitcoin industry and crypto yeah, industry, sure. they've They've gone to, they made the pilgrimage to El Salvador to see El Zante, to see what's going on there. And yeah. I think their tourism numbers are up like 30, 40% this year. Sort of like the new Puerto Rico or something, except the benefit of having some adoption. As you, as you work with these countries, what is like the response or, you know, I don't know if there's a pushback or whatever from, you know, other, other countries around the world that, I mean, are, are clearly not interested right now in having Bitcoin play any significant uh, legitimized role in their economies. Are you are you seeing anything like that? Are you experiencing anything like that? Or are you just, you know, not really in that, you know, loop? Well, the I guess the biggest opposition to Bitcoin adoption, it seems to be the IMF. They definitely don't like that um, countries are, trying to move off the dollar standard. And I think they've incentivized Argentina to not adopt Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So they, they've made some loans contingent upon um, rejection of Bitcoin as a money and adopting like a central bank digital currency or whatnot. But there is pressure and there is a lot of political force being deployed to make sure that people don't adopt Bitcoin. Is there, do you feel like um, right now, if you compare where Bitcoin was like, I don't know, 2017, obviously, like the last time everybody was talking about Bitcoin, when your barber was talking about Bitcoin, uh, compared to now development in terms of uh, its use. Can you talk like where where we've come during that period of time? Uh, well, I would say we've come a long way and um, the ecosystem has developed uh, a lot since then. And I think it mostly has to do with layer two tech like Lightning and like Liquid. So we're seeing adoption of both of these um, layer two technologies accelerate very fast. So Lightning, I think, has about 4,000 Bitcoin locked into it. And that means they're using these Bitcoins for payments and whatnot. The Liquid ecosystem, I think, has 3,000 something Bitcoin locked in. And 
that's for trading and arbitrage and moving funds between exchanges, etc., as well as uh, stable coins issued on liquid as well. But um, I'd say overall, we're in a very different place than we were in 2017, 2018. We're at the cusp of nation state adoption. So we had uh, a number of cities and autonomous regions start to express interest in adopting it or making it legal tender. And then we have two countries now and possibly more along the way. If you're paying attention to the um, the politics in Latin America, there's more and more politicians, like potential mm-hmm. presidential candidates standing up and saying, you know, that's part of my mm-hmm. platform. And even in Canada, we have uh, Pierre Polyev. Uh, he's running for leadership of the Conservative Party. And part of his platform is also being accepting of Bitcoin and trying to push Bitcoin as a standard for money. So, yeah, I would say we're in a pretty good place. And we also have Michael Saylor now, you know, (laughs) he's he's the best proponent we could have asked for. And I would expect there'll be more Michael Saylors to come. Um, I want to, um, well, before we, before we move on from Bitcoin, just to comment, obviously we, you know, we had a, a big bull run, um, Maybe we're still in a bull run. I don't know. And, and maybe we're just, you know, flatlining for a little bit. But I know the price of it at, when you have a vision like you have is almost sort of pointless uh, to talk about. But what do you think is going on? Is it just natural volatility? Is this, you know, th- there is this idea or there was this idea from Bitcoin purists before uh, that, you know, th- that somehow Bitcoin would be immune um, to the other markets, but it, it really doesn't seem like it, it has been so far. Uh, it sort of has tracked in a more volatile way some of the tech uh, equity markets. Um, is, do you think that's just um, a transitional, uh, continues to be a transitional volatility that tracks tech rather than something bigger than that? Well, yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that question, but let's <laughs> yeah, address the volatility sorry. first. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say volatility is important. Volatility is the lifeblood of markets, right? Things yeah. should go up and down if people are trading and Bitcoin trades 24-7 and it's borderless. So, you know, everyone is accessing the Bitcoin market and that leads to what people like or dislike, which is volatility. Um, for example, like yesterday we, or today, depends on what what time zone you're in, but we had a drop. We were at 30, mm-hmm. 31,500, and then we dropped really suddenly to under 30,000. And the cause for that, I believe, was actually mm-hmm. um, some Ethereum holder dumping 100,000 Ether. And because all these markets are linked together, there are ETC, ETH yeah. and BTC trading pairs, sure. it can impact other markets. But now, of course, we've rebounded right back up because that has nothing to do with Bitcoin. It was just right. um, the markets, you know, evening out the the spread but um the the part about the the tech stock behavior of bitcoin has a lot to do with the fact that there's a lot of wall street money in bitcoin right now so michael saylor has broken this down before and i think his explanation is the best there are you know traders um there's wall street players and then there are hodlers so the hodlers are just buying and stacking um, ideally, they're taking their coins off of the exchange. So that means the price action right now is largely driven not by the hodlers, but by by the, the people that are, that are actively trading it. And a large chunk of that is Wall Street. So if their thesis is Bitcoin is a tech stock, then we'll track like a tech stock or we'll track like a risk on asset. But Bitcoin is not a risk on asset. It's a risk off asset. 
And mm-hmm. if you actually zoom out a bit and look at the um, the the correlation, you know, if you map out the the Bitcoin price um, to stocks and equities, it actually it's, it goes up. So yeah. <laughs> Bitcoin is not correlated. It's correlated in short timeframes mm-hmm. quite tightly, mm-hmm. but on a longer time horizon, like years, it actually is not correlated. Like Bitcoin is always going up. Right. And I think we'll see that over some time because that segment of um, the Bitcoin ecosystem, the hodlers, they're taking more and more coins off exchange. So there is actually not that many Bitcoin on exchanges now. So when the supply dries up and we're getting close to the next halving next year, where the supply of Bitcoin will have again from 6.25 to half of that, then we're going to see a massive supply shock and that could drive the price even higher. But Mm -hmm. I don't believe we're in a bear market. I think we're sort of in this um, weird sideways market now. And it has a lot to do with the black swan events like right. war, um, you know, all these crazy things that we're not really expecting. But um, the trend for Bitcoin is to go up just because it's been designed to go up. It's been designed to absorb all the value in the world. So the destiny is for Bitcoin to keep appreciating. Um, Samson is a, uh, CEO of Pixelmatic, and as I mentioned, Chris, who's also on. Uh, Chris, we haven't had a chance to hear from you. You're CEO, <laughs> like Chris talk. the COO of <laughs> Pixelmatic. So I want to kind of uh, uh, talk a little bit about, you know, uh, why don't you start with this? Because some people, uh, you know, we're, my the audience is constantly growing here and um, may not know exactly the, you know, what... Um, what Infinite Fleet is, uh, what the sure. idea was, and you know when it all started, and 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 why don't you start with that? Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, uh, yeah, it's good to be back on book. Uh, it's yeah. always good to, to to chat with you. Yeah. Yeah. So Infinite Fleet is what we call a massively multiplayer online game, um, MMO. So that means you know hundreds of thousands of players playing together these are like second lives that people immerse themselves in you know like fortnite right isn't that the like the most comp without the the most one that everybody knows right that's certainly one of the big ones for sure because that that really rocked the gaming industry you know they they made i think it was close to three billion in their first year or Uh something it was a really incredible phenomenon Uh and the games industry is just just growing at an unbelievable rate right um mm-hmm. it's uh, in 2021 i believe it was 190 billion 198 billion and in 27 it's projected to hit 340 so it's really just an, in- an incredible growth uh, market because you know i mean when i was a kid <laughs> being a gamer was kind of a quote-unquote nerdy thing yeah and now it's mainstream you know yeah. it's 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 bigger than uh, movies and music combined. It's just an incredible industry. But to go back specifically to Infinite Fleet, so we are, like I say, an MMO game, hundreds of thousands of players playing together. You are the commander of a fleet. So if you're thinking, you know, you like Star Trek, you're essentially Picard, going out into the galaxy, exploring, fighting these the Atrox aliens that are threatening humanity. And players, they, you know, it's a very community-driven game. Players play together. Uh, they cooperate, they build space stations, they colonize planets, they pool their resources um, to fight the enemy. 
in a in a big sort of cooperative sandbox. So it's a it's a very as I say immersive game where players can really live, live this second life online, which is very common. I mean, I know you've got kids, book. I don't yeah. know if they play yeah. games, but it's very very uh, common for for the for young folks to to uh-huh. really you know jump into these kind of virtual environments. Uh-huh. And so so infinite. Fleet specifically, what's uh, remind people what the premise of this game was is. Yeah, so the idea for us with Infinite Fleet was, as I say, to make something really massive that players could jump into. So they're a commander of the, in the USF, the United Soul Federation. They fight with other players to attack the Atrox aliens. And the thing that makes it quite uh, unique, well, there's a few things that we're innovating here, really. Um, But one thing that's quite interesting is that we also have this um, crypto, this, this, this currency that goes through the game as well. So when you play Infinite Fleet, when you take part in these special events, like these big events, the players that really interact and, and really take part they earn a reward of INF currency. Now, INF currency actually isn't all that different from a lot of uh, currencies that are in other games. Like you mentioned Fortnite, right? They have V-Bucks. Uh, mm-hmm. World of Warcraft has just gold. You know, there's a whole bunch of these, these massive games that have economies running through them, essentially. But the difference is that our currency has portability. So it mean, as a cryptocurrency, you can actually... Uh, take that onto other platforms. And also the spaceships in our game are NFTs. So I know NFTs obviously are this big, <laughs> they've been yeah. a real buzzword recently. There's a lot, a lot of, uh, uh-huh. you know, interesting things going on there, whether you love it or hate it. Uh-huh. But for us, the NFT allows for an open market of, um, of trading digital goods. So players can take them, out of the game and trade them wherever they like. So this really is an op- opens a lot of opportunity for players. And this is and just because so one of the things just for you know um, some of us Gen Xers like we that uh, it reminds me of like when you used to go to like uh, you know the old fashioned arcade and then you'd you'd <laughs> have to put your dollar into uh, you know get get your four tokens out. And then you use those four tokens, but you could only use them at that arcade. It's not like you could go to right. another arcade. I mean, and this is a situation where you're saying, well, hey, those tokens might be worth something somewhere else as well. So if you're earning some tokens, you know, you don't have to use them just at this arcade. You can actually trade them. They have value. That is that is that a fair uh, comparison? Yeah. So a lot of players, I mean, they, they spend a lot of time in these games. You know, some people put spend yeah. literally thousands of hours, right? So yeah. building, customizing these, these avatars, these spaceships and things. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that you could kind of liquidate that value, that, that time that you've put in and then take it onto another platform, take it to another game or, yeah. or trade it with some other digital assets. So, uh-huh. you know, for us, for me and Samson, both when we were very free market people, we believe in this very much. And yeah. we believe that for the players, they should be able to uh, extract that value. They should be able to to take the time and effort that they've put in, and then apply that into other other platforms too. Yeah, sure. And then, um, what is the so from from the standpoint of those who are um, investors in? Actually, the background I'll give on this real quick is that um, Chris uh, and and Samson 
actually, initially, I had been introduced to Samson when they were doing the initials, or I guess the friends and family round, you know, a mutual friend. And uh, I was like, well, hey, I'm, I'm interested, but hey, I have this group, which is our, our investor club. And um, we, we got an opportunity to be in on that initial round. I think it was like 25 cents a token. And then there was a second round of 50 cents a token. At any rate, the um, by the way, for those of you who are wondering, I'm talking about all this, this is a Reg D506C. So I, I can speak openly about this. I'm not breaking any rules, I promise. Um, <laughs> but um, but so, so we've done two rounds through our group. And, um, you know, kind of... Uh, maybe help us understand from the investor side, how do investors make money in this, in this game? Okay. Maybe I'll do, I'll do this one, yeah. Chris. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the, I should point out that the game's not live yet either. Right. So that it's beta's coming out in like a month. So, well, it, it was live. It, alpha was live for right, alpha six months live. or something, mm-hmm. but um, we just shut down alpha recently in preparation for beta, um, which is end of July, July 27th or 28th. Mm-hmm. Which one was it, Chris? July 28th. Okay, 28th, yeah. But yeah, the game was live. It is playable, unlike a lot of the other quote-unquote blockchain games. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, going back to the, the token, it is a security token, and there is a profit share of 20% for the holders of the token. So if the game makes money, then all the holders essentially get an upside too. Um, but we're a little bit different than all the projects that you probably see in the space. Like there's tons of quote-unquote blockchain or cryptocurrency games. For us, like the capital raise was always meant to be firewalled from the game. So you do have similar types of projects where they're selling their utility token and it could be a security, but not registered, but we didn't want to deal with that. So the EXO token is completely a security. You know, it's registered uh, in Europe. It's done through a Luxembourg securitization vehicle, much like the BMN and the game part. Um, when Chris was talking about NFTs for the ships and the game currency as a crypto asset, that is all done on the liquid side chain. Now, the ships are sold, but the game currency is not. It is earned. Mm-hmm. So you we're just trying to create a mechanism for players to freely trade. So because both assets are issued on the liquid side chain, uh, players can do an atomic swap. And what that means is they can do a trade where there's no county counterparty risk. So someone does not need to send the ship first to you, and then you send the money mm-hmm. later or the mm-hmm. INF later. It, it happens all at once or none at all. So the goal here was to empower the players mm-hmm. and let them freely trade and not get scammed because there's a lot of secondary markets in the game mar- in game industry where people do get scammed, right? They, they go yeah. and try to sell something and buy something and you know, the, they don't get the item. But we're trying to use this technology to improve that experience and also make it so that um, we're not a bottleneck to it. Because when you, ger- when you earn your game currency in Infinite Fleet, it actually goes to a wallet that mm-hmm. is created for you when you install the game. So it's it's non-custodial. We don't actually have access to your INF currency, unlike World of Warcraft, where it's in their database. Right. And I think this is really important because our whole kind of a line of thinking is that we want to empower the players. A lot of games, they don't want secondary markets to exist. They don't want players to trade items and whatnot. But our thinking is, you know, you invest the time to make that ship or level up that ship. You should be able to do whatever you want with this ship. So it's kind of um, mm-hmm. the ethos of the company and the thinking. It's more like Bitcoin, free market and free trade. 
So from the investor side, there's a, uh, a, you know, a dividend or, you know, a profit share, so to speak. And then there's also the value of the um, security token itself as it's, you know, as it, it gains value, you, you know, you have a, um, you, you gain value as sort of capital appreciation on that end as well. Is that right? Yes. Chris, do you want to talk about the Exordium publishing model? Yeah. So, you know, Infinite Fleets in the first place, it's really the first step in a, in a kind of a long plan. So Exordium is our publisher, which is publishing Infinite Fleet. Um, Pixelmatic is the, is the developer and we have a development contract between, between the companies essentially. So the long-term plan for Exordium is for us to actually be publishing a wide range of games that kind of share the ethos that we were speaking about, this free market, this empowering the players uh, method. So as we continue to, to onboard other uh, developers, other games on our platform, of course, the EXO holders will also uh, get dividend on, from that revenue as well. So all the revenues that come from the Exordium publisher will be part of that dividend. And also in terms of Exordium as well, it's not, it's not just that, but there's also uh, capital rights upon liquidation as well. So if there is an M&A, if, some, if we do get bought out or something like that, that does equally go to all the EXO holders. But yeah, so we are building a publishing platform. We also intend to inc- acquire some licenses for other games too and really drive it. We've been developing some products for Exordium at the moment. Uh, we are developing something called Exordium Pay, for example, which is going to be giving opportunity for uh, purchase players to use a wide variety of payment methods like Bitcoin and and others to to buy uh, you know digital items and things acro- across the platform of any game that's published on there. What uh, what was the experience of the uh, alpha launch? Um, what what kind of feedback did you get? What kinds of you know uh, interest did you get from that? Sure. Well, at the time of the alpha launch and just before, actually, just just to clarify, our NFT technology hasn't actually been rolled out yet, but the players bought the ships. They loved uh, the ships that we were selling. They're really, really Mm -hmm. cool. They've got this kind of 80s style, you know, really pull on those nostalgia strings. And our community of players have been very, very supportive indeed um, throughout what we have this community on a platform called Discord. They're always talking about the game and the, the, we had a very, very positive uh, feedback on that because as, I mean, as Samson was, was touching on before, a lot of the blockchain games, if you go on Google and just type in blockchain game or something like that, you'll see these <laughs> it looks like great. early noughties kind of uh, yeah. HTML, <laughs> like kind of like really, really lame games. Yeah. But we've got this incredible uh, development team. I mean, <laughs> talk a little bit uh, sorry, about to, that because I think that all is really important. I mean, when we always talk about, you know, the reason I um, ultimately, you know, I, my, um, I, I invested in uh, one of those rounds and, and one of the reasons I did it is because the team, right. So yeah. um, t- talk about that team. Cause I think that's, that's important. No problem at all. Well, um, first, I mean, just 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 Samson here, obviously, uh, as you right. know, he's a Bitcoin luminary, but previously he was ex-Ubisoft, right? So uh, Samson right. was in a very, very high position in one of the largest video gaming companies in the world. And um, along with our two directors for Exordium, Steve and Keith, are pretty much responsible for us, uh, Ubisoft's East Asian success. Mm-hmm. Uh publishing games like Smurfs & Co., which I think was one of the biggest 
Facebook games that uh, that Ubisoft had launched. Mm-hmm. Um, also, our chief creative officer, Jason, he was previously the senior gameplay designer at Relic, which is a large studio which developed games such as uh, Age of Empires 4, uh, which is a massive IP in the industry. And he also worked on Company of Heroes, which is the highest critically acclaimed game on Metacritic for strategy in the strategy genre that we're in. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the design, we've got great hands on the wheel there and also the art style as well. Like I say, we've got this really kick-ass sort of anime style uh-huh. art, which has been driven by Wayne Wong Chong, who's, he's been in the industry like 25 years at the, yeah. at the forefront of 3D digital art. He actually worked previously at Sony as well, released, worked on one of the earliest 3D rendered uh, Spider-Man shows. And worked on FIFA and, and a whole bunch of other awesome games as well. So we're really we're really being headed up by some by some top people. The technical team as well have been working on some, you know they've they've made so many uh, AA games. This is one called Siberia, um, and and many more. So really we're being headed up by some of the top people in this industry. And right now, you know, since we last spoke, we've grown quite a lot. So I think last time we spoke, we had about 30 people on the team, maybe, if I recall correctly. And now we're globally distributed team of 80 uh, mm. and expecting to scale from there. So we've been going from strength to strength over the past year or two, I would say. Um, and to go back to your original question, our fans have been loving this game so far uh-huh. the you know we've sold thousands of ships uh, pre-release right we said the yeah. game isn't even that like, the beta's coming soon um it's not fully live yet and when we sold thousands and thousands of the ships on our online store so people are really excited for this thing and yeah we we, we can't wait for the beta <laughs> yeah yeah we've also auctioned off um a one of one and we have a new auction currently running for another one of one but um like players are buying the ships because they're playing the game and they they like the ships and they're not just speculating because it's NFT because they're not NFTs yet. So I don't know if you've picked this up, but we we try to do everything by the book. So the reason why we haven't released the the INF currency or the NFTs yet is because we're re- looking for the right jurisdiction. So we're we're actually waiting for El Salvador to pass their new digital securities laws, which mm-hmm. would actually um, clearly specify that NFTs are not securities and then we would issue it from a, a salvadoran entity that we're in the process of setting up so we're, we're trying to make sure everything is kosher we're not over promising things we're not trying to overhype the nft aspect of the game or even the crypto aspect in fact like a lot of our design uh, methodology is to hide all of that so a player coming into infinite fleet infinite fleet will just see they're playing a game and if they really dig into it and they figure it out, they can understand, okay, this is actually a crypto token and I can move it to like a mobile wallet or something like that. But the the goal is to hide all that complexity. Whereas other games, they're like, you know, go buy some of this, um, some altcoin, buy yeah. some Solana, buy some Ethereum, and then yeah. you can buy the NFT and then you can farm and, yeah. you know, make more money in the game. Because those methods, those, um, structures are no, not sustainable right they're not really good games first of all and then second they're just a grind like you're playing to grind and farm money uh-huh. so for us game first that's why we built up that team like it's all game developers whereas other projects they're just trying to sell the nfts like they sell the nfts before they release a playable build they like another game project i won't name names but they're selling nft pictures of their ships 
right? Uh, That's kind of embarrassing you if you ask me. Yeah. Like, you're, you're, you're People a know game. the difference. Should, <laughs> yeah. Like, you're selling them when, to a bunch of guys like me. but for us like when we sell the ships you actually can load up the game client it's alpha it's rough but you play with the ship you bought in the game itself so uh, i'm really excited for beta the game has improved by leaps and Uh the graphic quality is much higher we can support a higher number of concurrent users so you're going to see these epic space battles and it's only going to keep getting better from there Seems like, uh, you know, with these types of things, so much of it, uh, you've got a good product um, and you've got a great team behind it. The next thing you know, you just got to get a lot of people to know about it. I know you have, uh, and we don't, you don't have to talk about who, but a lot of high profile investors. Is that part of the plan to help, you know, utilize some of those um, influencers uh, to try to get the word out? Um, probably. I mean, there's yeah. definitely a lot of high-profile investors, and yeah. um, we haven't really pushed that angle yet. But yeah. once we are into beta, we iron out all the bugs, and we are ready right. to go wider to like open beta. We'll yeah. probably leverage a lot of that. Yeah, that makes sense. The next uh, step, uh, as I understand it, uh, well, first we've got the game going to beta in two months from now, but then there's also um, in in trying to get this thing onto a securitized token platform for trading purposes, right? The token. And um, can you talk a little bit about how that's going and what the plan is there? Sure. So um, we're looking with one thing that maybe we didn't clarify in the first place is that we actually have um, kind of a jurisdictional split with the with the token, with the uh, security token. So we have the EXO US, which mm-hmm. is specifically for US investors, because obviously there's there's quite a uh, tight regulatory fl- framework that we have to work with with mm-hmm. the SEC. Mm-hmm. And then we have the EXO EU, which is registered from a Luxembourg entity. And that's kind of for the basically the rest of the world. We've essentially carved right. out the US and, right. and the rest of the world. So on the uh, EU side, we're working with Bitfinex. So obviously a massive exchange and they mm-hmm. launched uh, the Bitfinex securities platform. So we're working to list, um, well, do, do a primary listing on there. Um, and we have been you know, working on the regulation there. There has been some... Um, you know, it's taken some time working with the regulators, so so there has been a little bit of delay on there, and we're still working really fervently on on getting it on that side. And on the XOUS side, uh, as you said, we are uh, Reg 506C uh, right now, Reg D506C, but we're working with INX, which is quite a large security token platform as well, to list the token there, which obviously should give access to early liquidity for investors. So that's the plan. And obviously the security tokens, um, it's kind of a fresh, it's a very innovative new technology, having you know equity on the blockchain, essentially having uh, securities on the blockchain. And so we expect massive acceleration over the coming years and, you know, obviously lots of opportunities for, for security tokens to grow and more platforms to exist and, and list the EXO token. Um, so it's very early days at the moment. Um, and, you know, we're really, really excited to see where this goes because security tokens have a lot of benefits like 24 seven trading. It cuts out a lot of the intermediaries because of all the compliance can be quite baked in to, uh, to the token itself. And, you know, it, 
it's going to be quite innovative and disruptive to the TradFi, uh, you know, traditional finance uh, structure as such. So we're very bullish on this. Um, but <laughs> as a trailblazer, of course, there's a lot of challenges. You have to work with regulators and it, it does take time. Sure. Yeah, of course. In in terms of, uh, you know, from the investor standpoint, I think uh, it's useful to point out um, First round, a number of people in our group actually did participate at 25 cents and then a, a number, I think more people even participated at 50 cents. The Bitfinex, uh, what is this? Do you know what the initial offering price will be at Bitfinex right. Securities? Yeah, so actually because um, it's it has been a little bit of time since our 50 cent offering went went live uh, and obviously things have grown. As I said, the, you know, the company's grown. We've, we've started to make some good revenues and things. Uh, the price has increased or will increase to 80 cents when it goes live on Bitfinex. And we estimate that will be within a month or two, but we, we can't give a firm date. As I say, we're still working with regulators and we are making some progress. But within a couple of months, we expect to be listing. Um, and this, at that uh, time, the price... Mm. Yeah, and this the this is actually potentially an opportunity because you know there's still an opportunity to potentially get in for accredited investors at that um, 50 cent Mark, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. Yes. Indeed. Got it. Well, great. Uh, well, what um, what am I missing here? Tell me what else we need to know about uh, progress with this. Anything that we didn't cover? Samson, can you think of anything? Maybe you want to talk about the <laughs> the global macroeconomic situation right now, because I think that um, you know it's it's quite it's quite an interesting time, obviously, uh, for various investments and things, but. One thing that I will say is that it seems that the the gaming market certainly is quite robust when it comes to yeah. uh, the wider issues. So obviously, when when COVID hit, you know, a lot of people um, playing games, right? Well, Jeez. yeah, there were a lot of people yeah. playing games, <laughs> you know. And right. obviously, as a remote working studio, you know, we yeah. were kind of used uh, used to it. We were poised. We didn't really, you know, our production schedule didn't get knocked back really at all uh, it, due to COVID. Well, the um, the war knocked us back a bit. By a month, yeah, that's right, that's right. Because we did have some, we did have some uh, Ukrainian uh, staff members, so that certainly yeah. did have a bit of an, an effect on us. Um, I can imagine, yeah. Okay. But for sure, I think the gaming market is very robust when it comes to, you know, investments and things like that, and and sort of global economic situations. Um, Chris, so um, if if anyone is interested in potentially participating in in that current fifty cent round. How do they how do they get in touch with you? I think the best way is to hit me up directly. So it's just Chris, the normal spelling dot wood, W-O-O-D, not woods. Some people say woods. <laughs> Chris yeah. dot wood at pixelmatic.com. P-I-X-E-L-M-A-T-I-C dot com. Again, that's only open to accredited investors. So you're going to need to have a third party verification and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, if you're an accredited investor, you're used to that. Um already with other stuff, but uh, just keep that in mind. Um, and by the way, if you can't, if you can't understand Chris's accent or whatever, you can, you can, you could certainly just email me and I will be happy to forward that email on to Chris as well. And it's bucketwealthformula.com. Uh, Chris, Samson, Chris and Samson, you know, thanks uh, guys so much for being on the show again. It's always, uh, I always learn a lot and uh, it's, it's great to get an update. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's a real pleasure, Book. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, listen, I, there are a few things 
I think out there that are, um, you know, in terms of the way things are changing, then the whole blockchain and, you know, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin ecosystem. And of course, you know, Samson is, uh, is one of those guys who is uh, definitely a, what you call, I guess, a Bitcoin purist. He would tell you pretty much everything is worthless. Well, I don't know for sure if that's true, but I do know, in my opinion, at least I should say, I think Bitcoin is here to stay. If you look at that, the financial situation there with the limited you know, supply, uh, essentially deflationary kind of environment, uh, and the rapid expansion of the Bitcoin um, ecosystem uh, and, and the use of Bitcoin, not only by individuals, but now city-states and also by, you know, the the buy-in from Wall Street, it's hard not to see this thing going much, much higher. So anyway, I'm not going to tell you to buy it or not buy it, but I, I do think this is something that you ought to be thinking about. You know, people were thinking about this same kind of thing very early on and bought at 500 and some people bought at 5,000 and Gosh, I mean, it's it's just you know we're we're in a slump right now, but we're still sitting at around thirty thousand. And who who would have thought back in two thousand seventeen? Anyway, that's uh, that's my take on it, though. Uh, thanks for joining Wealth Formula Podcast today. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always. Consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.